Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, June the 27th. And welcome to our commentary. It is still extremely hot here in North Texas. It's supposed to be extremely hot, I guess, for the next two or three days, triple-digit temperatures. But, you know, I guess we're used to that around here. If you're coming to Dallas, Texas, from anywhere, to Texas, really, from anywhere else in the country, make sure you you dress or you bring something that is cool, uh, maybe some shorts, some sandals, if it's a casual trip. If it's a business trip, uh, well, might have to wear a suit. Just make sure it's kind of a lighter suit for this heat uh, that you'll be encountering. So the heat is on here in North Texas, uh, continues for the next few days. I think it's going to get better next week. We're only going to be in the high 90s next week. We're not going to be doing uh, triple digits uh, next week. So that's an improvement. That's uh, an improvement, to say the least. Before we get to our stories, I just saw this uh, on one of the websites that the FBI and uh, yeah, the FBI is apparently admitting that there were some mistakes, some intelligence problems uh, regarding the 6th of January. In other words, that they had information they didn't pick up or they didn't connect the dots, as, as people like to say, regarding they, they had information that there could be trouble on January the 6th, but didn't do anything about it. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. A lot of us we're asking about this before, you know, how could the capital of the United States be so unprotected uh, on any given day when you have the vice president inside and, and the capital uh, relatively unprotected where people could just burst in? You know, we all, all have a lot of questions. This is not defending. Okay, let me make sure I say it again. I'm not defending people who did something. I mean, if you broke into the capital, that's, that's your problem. You shouldn't do that. But the Capitol should have been better protected. And now we're finding out that there were some intelligence failures uh, on the part of the people who were supposed to connect these dots. They apparently did not anticipate the problems that happened, even though there were many signs that they could uh, they could happen. Well, Governor DeSantis, of course, is running for president, the nomination, Republican nomination. He's down in Texas. He's down on the border. I think he's here today. I know he was here yesterday. And he spoke a little bit about the border situation and took a very harsh position with respect to the, the elements, the cartels, the criminal elements, basically saying, you know, you, I'm going to go after you. If you come into the United States, I'm going to go after you. Um, and it's not going to be pretty. Now, I, I think you can always say that he's doing that to maybe, you know, maybe different, differentiate himself from Trump, maybe come put on a stronger position with respect to the cartels than, than former President Trump. I mean, I think former President Trump was pretty tough on how he handled the border. So I don't know if this is going to help DeSantis. It is clearly, though, the right message, whether, whether it's politically motivated or not. It is the right message. I mean, we're going to have to do a better job of controlling are controlling our, our borders because it is really becoming a very serious problem, uh, a criminal problem, not just an immigration problem, but also a crime problem. I have a post uh, coming out on Wednesday morning where I make reference to a report that came out in Mexico from our friends uh, in Mexico at Pulse News Mexico. It's a website that publishes 
stories about Mexico. And they have a report, uh, you know, there some group down in Mexico, some one of these think tanks in Mexico came up with a report that 81% of Mexican territory at the moment is controlled by cartels. 81% of Mexican territory is controlled by cartels. You know, 81% is a pretty big number. Now, granted that some of that 81% may be areas with with hardly any population, you know, but still, still, I mean, the cartel, I mean, the, the story points out that the cartels have very strong influence in some key states, states that are essential to the trafficking of drugs to the United States, or certainly uh, states uh, like, for example, uh, on the Pacific coast, you know, the states where some of the drugs are coming in by, by water. So, I, I mean, this is a damning report. Uh, for President Lopez Obrador, who has been admitting uh, that, you know, that Mexico doesn't have this problem. And this is a damning report for him, because it shows not only what the problem is, but the names of some of the organizations that are engaging in, in this kind of, in this kind of criminal activity. And, and I've said it many times, you know, I've said it many times. Uh, there are two parts to this drug problem. And I'm, uh, I've said this before. We consume, so we have to do a better job, frankly, of eliminating our consumption. We have to. I mean, unless we're willing to do that, then we're, if, if we provide the market for these organizations, then they're going to take advantage of it because if we want these drugs, well, they're going to bring them over. They're going to figure out how to bring them over and run whatever risk uh, they want to run to bring them over. So, yes, we have a consumption problem. We have to do something about it. But Mexico also has another problem that I've talked about before. They have a threat to their sovereignty problem. Because when you have criminal elements controlling so much of your country, uh, pretty soon they're going to be controlling the governments in little towns, in some of the smaller states, in some of the cities, in some of the main routes. You know, I had a, uh, a couple of people who have told me here in the Dallas area that they don't drive to Mexico anymore. These are Mexicans who have historically gone to Mexico for Christmas. They just drive down to, to the border, cross over, and go see their families. And they told me they don't do that anymore. And the reason they don't do it is because they're afraid of the violence. They're afraid, specifically what they're afraid of, especially is that they're going to be stopped, uh, especially if they're driving a truck or a van. They're going to be stopped. Somebody is, you know, they're going to hijack the car. They're going to leave the family out on the road somewhere. And they're going to steal your car because, you know, sometimes the criminal elements would like to get free cars. And one of the best ways of getting them is to steal them. I also heard a story that here in Texas, there has been an increase in the number of stolen cars. My um, my friend who's an insurance agent was telling me about this, that, uh, you know, there have been an increase in the number of stolen cars. Well, I heard a story on the radio that some of this is cartel related that you have criminal elements coming over to the United States they identify certain vehicles they steal them and then they drive them back to to Mexico so the the problem is a lot more than people getting killed that's a problem too it's everything else that gets uh, messed up all of the other aspects of our life they get messed up because of this criminal activity in Mexico now Mexico has a presidential election coming up next July. In roughly a year, 
they're going to be deciding who their next president is. And at the moment, you know, they're going through the usual primaries, just like we do up here. And uh, I don't know that there is one person who is favored to win. I, I, I don't know. We'll talk more about this as, as time goes by. We'll invite some Mexican experts to tell us about this. But I don't care who it is, who the next president of Mexico is. I hope it is somebody who is willing to talk frankly to the Mexican people about how these, how these criminal elements are really a threat to Mexican sovereignty. You cannot ha have a country with such a large part, portion of your population or certainly of your territory is in the hands of criminal elements. I mean, you just cannot uh, do that. I mean, look at Haiti, for example. Look at what's happening in Haiti, basically run by drug gangs uh, and other parts of the world that are in that fashion. You cannot have a functioning society when so much of your, of your territory is run by criminal elements. So um, I hope that Mexico has a frank uh, conversation about this. They really need to. They need to have a conversation about this. And I hope their, their presidential election at least puts this topic on the table for conversation. Because, yeah, as I say, the threat here is to us, to our kids, to the United States. But there's also a huge threat to Mexico. Uh, Mexico becomes a narco state, and that's, uh, that's an even bigger problem than we have right now. So check out my post. It'll be available uh, Wednesday morning. I have a post uh, today, Tuesday morning, at the American Thinker, where I'm talking about Mayor Adams, the mayor of New York City, who's been a huge critic of the governor of Texas. I mean, a huge critic of the governor of Texas when it comes to sending these buses of migrants to New York and other places. And now we're learning, and that's what my post is about, that the mayor of New York has actually been shipping people out too. He's been shipping people out to different parts. And we understand why. He's overwhelmed, much like the cities in Texas are overwhelmed. Same reason. And he's overwhelmed. He's got like thousands. I mean, the statistics that I was showing on my post are like 78,000 people who've come to, to New York. 48,000 are still under some kind of city control, meaning they have to be supported by the city because they're not working or whatever it may be. Some of them are children who obviously are going to have to go to school and, and so on. And, you know, the mayor is obviously, you know, trying to fix the problem by shipping people out. Now, this is creating a lot of arguments within the Democrat Party because many of the local areas, many of the, you know, let's say uh, communities around New York City are protesting, saying, why are you sending these people to us? But that is, uh, you know, that is what's happening. And it's creating a real problem. But, of course, there's the matter of hypocrisy, because when the mayor of New York is criticizing the governor of Texas, we're sending these people by bus, and he's doing the same thing, sending people by bus somewhere else. So there's a little bit of hypocrisy, to say the least. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is the hypocrisy of the Democrats when it comes to sanctuary cities. They're all, they're all in on sanctuary cities as long as... Uh, People are in Texas, not when they go to, to New York. Well, let me close today by wishing a happy birthday to one of the ball players that I grew up watching. Uh, there was a fellow named Rico Petrocelli who used to play for the Red Sox. He was a shortstop initially, ended up playing third base. Rico Petrocelli, I loved uh, his name. And he was uh, with uh, the Red Sox and from the mid-60s to the late 70s. He was a very popular player there 
with the Red Sox. Very productive player, third baseman, shortstop, hit 40 home runs one year, I think as a shortstop with uh, the Red Sox. So Rico Petrocelli is 80 years old today. I don't know what he's doing. I'm assuming he's in the Northeast somewhere. So happy birthday to Rico Petrocelli, one of the greatest names in baseball history. You know, baseball has these great names for players. Rico Petrocelli, his real name is Americo Peter uh, Rico Petrocelli. I think that's his name. And he was born in Brooklyn, obviously, in an Italian family. And I love the name Rico Petrocelli, who is one of my favorites. And somewhere, I'm sure I have a baseball card of Rico Petrocelli. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a great day. Stay out of the heat. And we'll talk to you later. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.